Thank you, Nick, for reading our scripture. Very proud of Nick. Does a great job. We appreciate so much our young folks and their willingness to read scripture, lead prayer, wait on the table. We're very proud of how far they've come. And we look forward to seeing great, great things as they continue to grow. Seems like just yesterday, Nick could barely see out over the podium. And now I'm looking up at him. And so he, is, uh, he has come a long way physically, mentally, and no doubt spiritually as well. And so we're very proud of Nick, and I know that Christy is as well. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, I would invite you to turn with me to the passage that Nick read a moment ago. And as you're turning, I do want to express appreciation for your presence tonight. We're so grateful that you chose to come back to be with us tonight. As always, if you're visiting, we invite you to come back. We're so grateful that you have chosen to come here tonight to be a part of our worship service. We invite you to come back every time that you have the opportunity. And always, we certainly encourage you, if you're looking for a church home, please consider the work here. We would love to have you as a part of our church family. Let's look at Luke chapter 8 tonight. We're going to be talking together about the subject, the heart of the matter. Jesus had a very unique way of teaching. As a matter of fact, one of the things that stands out to me, Jesus had the innate ability to connect with people. He had the ability to connect with people, whether it be on an individual basis or whether he was standing before a multitude of people. And Jesus used various devices to teach people. And there are certainly many ways that we can teach and preach and reach people. One of the ways that Jesus sought to reach people was through parables. And typically when we think about a parable, we identify that as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And I think that's a good summation of what a parable is. But Jesus had the ability to take everyday things in life and relate those things to spiritual principles. And so in Luke chapter 8, Jesus does just that. And what he does is talks about a sower, someone who is a farmer. And here's a guy out sowing seed. And the goal, of course, is to bring forth fruit. Well, Jesus takes this earthly story and relates it to the heart of man. And what he's going to do is he's going to speak very specifically about four different types of soil. He's going to say that those different types of soil are representative of different types of human hearts. And so we're going to look at that tonight in our study. The first thing that I want to do as we look at this text is first and foremost talk about the purpose of the sower. And I mentioned a moment ago the sower going out and sowing that seed. But there are a couple of things I think to bear in mind as we consider the sower in this context. Now, let me just read for you what is said beginning in verse 4. When a great multitude had gathered, and others had come to him from, Eddie, from every city, he spoke by a parable. And here's what he said. A sower went out to sow his seed. Now, we might ask the question, what is ultimately the purpose of the sower? 
Well, I think first and foremost, we have to understand something about the intent behind sowing seed. There are a couple of things that come to my mind. The first would be that those who sow seed do so with the intent to provide food. Now, some of you here tonight, you are probably already working a garden, aren't you? Some of you have already probably planted seed in the ground. I stopped by Jared's last Saturday, and he was in the backyard, he and Charlie, and they were working on their garden. And so the intent is ultimately for that garden to yield fruit. And so we think about the intent of the sower, first and foremost, to provide food, and then secondly, a second reason behind those who sow seed would be to provide finances. In other words, they do it because, monetarily speaking, that's how they earn their keep in life. And uh, Todd comes to mind. And Todd has tremendous capabilities in sowing and ultimately in reaping a great harvest. And I enjoy driving down Craft Road in, in the spring and then later in the summer and seeing his crops and how beautiful they are. I think about the handiwork of God. Well, the intent of the sower. But then there's a second thing, and that is the investment of the sower. Now, there are two things, I think, necessary in the sowing of seed. First, it requires an investment of our treasures. Financially speaking, it costs money to sow seed. And those who, those who farm in, in a large way, like Todd, takes a lot of seed, doesn't it? Takes a lot of finances to make that happen. Well, it requires an investment from our treasures. And then also, it requires an investment of time. There are many people spend a lot of time in the fields in the, in the springtime, don't they? And then later as that crop begins to come forth, they're out in the fields and they're making sure that the crops are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Now by way of spiritual application, Jesus is going to say down in verse 11 that the seed of the kingdom is the word of God. So when we sow seed, the purpose behind our sowing seed is ultimately to reach souls, isn't it? I mean, the goal is to deposit the Word of God into the hearts and lives of people and that Word bear fruit. So, our purpose, spiritually speaking, is to reach the lost. But it also requires an investment on our part, doesn't it? I mean, you think about how much it costs financially to reach people in our country. Takes a lot of money, doesn't it? When Jesus gave the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, not everyone can go. There are really two parts to the Great Commission. There's the going and the sending. Not everyone can go, but there are those of us who can't go, but financially we can be supportive of those who do go. I was talking to Brother D.L. this past week, and we were talking about some of the expenditures of the church here. And I was just adding up in my mind, and I don't have a, a hard figure, but I, I would imagine that the money that we use from our collection to evangelize and to edify by way of 
Well, first and foremost, I think about television and then radio. We're probably, I would imagine, somewhere between seven and $8,000 a month. And that's probably on the low side. So it, it requires an investment of our treasures, doesn't it? And then also it requires an investment of time. If you're going to reach the lost, whether it be individually or collectively or whatever, it requires a lot of time. It, you can't make a harvest overnight. If there's somebody that you're trying to reach with the gospel, it might cost you lunch one day. It might cost you a dinner some night. It might require you buying some materials and placing that material in their hands so that they can become better acquainted with the Word of God. It's going to cost you some time. You're going to have to take time out of your busy schedule to talk to people about Christ. And so, again, we think about the purpose of the sower, the intent, spiritually speaking, our intent is to reach the lost. And then our investment. There's a spiritual investment that we make just like the farmer does. Now, there's a second thing I want you to see in our study. First, we talk about the purpose of the sower. But then secondly, consider, if you would, the potential of the seed. The potential of the seed. Now, there are a couple of thoughts here. First, first thing that comes to mind, the distinctiveness of the seed. I wish I had in my hand right now various types of seed. But we understand that there are certain principles that relate to different types of seeds, don't we? And there's a principle set forth in Scripture back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 11. That principle as it relates to seed. Here it is. Every seed brings forth after its own kind. So that means if I'm going to, if I'm going to sow corn seed, then the expectation is it's going to bring forth what? Corn. If I sow bean seed, then the intent is to bring forth a crop of beans. Well, spiritually speaking, when we talk about the distinctiveness of the seed, now Jesus is going to say that the seed of the kingdom is the word of God. God's word is very distinctive. I remember when I was in college, I had a professor, and he was, he was a very wise individual, a very scholarly person. And I can remember to this day him standing in our classroom, and he would stand and pace. And he said on one occasion, truth has a certain ring to it. Well, that's the distinctiveness of the seed, and we're talking about the seed of the kingdom. But then consider also the distribution of the seed. Now, listen again to what Jesus said. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed. When we think about the power of the seed, the distribution of the seed, really the distribution of the seed, ultimately... If it's planted in the right kind of soil, it's going to yield a, a harvest, won't it? And that is a reflection of the power of the seed. Now, two things come to mind as I think about distributing the seed. First, 
the power of that seed. It's hard to imagine that a small grain of seed has the ability to bring forth a powerful crop. By the same token, Jesus said the seed of the kingdom is the word of God. The gospel has the power to germinate in the hearts and lives of people and ultimately yield fruit. Now, think for a minute about the potential of the seed. Note, if you would, what Jesus has to say beginning in verse 5. A sower went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, some fell by the wayside and was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock, and soon as, it, as soon as it sprang up, withered away because it lacked moisture. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others, he said, fell on good ground, sprang up and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, you can just imagine a sower out sowing that seed. The intent is to bring forth fruit or bring forth a harvest. The power of the seed ultimately realized in the great potential. The fact that housed within that very small seed is life and can yield a great crop. Well, wouldn't you say, spiritually speaking, that God's Word has that same ability? I mean, you think about the power of the gospel on Pentecost Day, for example. Peter and the other apostles, they're preaching multitudes of people in the city of Jerusalem. This is a day that God has foretold of centuries earlier. He had forecasted this great day, the day of Pentecost, the birth of the church. And Peter and the other apostles are preaching the resurrected Christ. And the Bible says that those who were assembled on that day, that they were cut or pricked in their hearts, and they cried out to Peter and the rest of the apostles, and they wanted to know, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent, be baptized to every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Verse 41 says that some 3,000 people honored the will of God and were baptized into Christ. And you remember verse 47, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. We move forward in history down to Acts chapter 8. And there we read about this great persecution sweeping the early church. And the Bible says that the disciples, the disciples were scattered abroad with the exception of the apostles. Those who were scattered abroad, here's what they did. The Bible says they went everywhere preaching the word. They went everywhere doing what? Sowing the seed of the kingdom, didn't they? Down in verse 5, the Bible says Philip went down to Samaria and preached Christ to those people. Now Jesus had said before ascending to heaven, speaking specifically to the apostles, that you shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. The gospel is now going to Samaria. So here, here's Philip, he's sowing that seed. What, what were the results? Do you remember? We talk about the power of the seed, the potential of the seed. Luke said in Acts chapter 8, verse 12, when they believed Philip, preaching things concerning the kingdom of God, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. The results were the same. Pentecost Day, great, a great harvest of souls. 
Samaria, again, the same thing. So we talk about the power of the seed and the potential of the seed. Now, there's a third thing I want us to look at in our study tonight. And that is pictures of the soil. Now, we just read a moment ago, verses 5 down through verse 8. I want us to now pick up in verse 11 because what Jesus is going to do, He's going to take human, or rather, He's going to take soil and now He's going to relate the various types of soil to the human heart. He speaks of four different types of soil representing four different types of human hearts. Now you remember back in verse 8, Jesus had said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I think what Jesus is saying is this is very important. The reason it's important is because each and every person represents a human heart, a human soul. And if you look, there are four types of hearts spoken of by Jesus. How many were productive? Do you recall? Only one. So, note if you would, as Jesus begins to profile the human heart. First, he's going to talk about the wayside soil, the compressed soil. Verse 11, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. Now imagine a man going out and sowing seed. And that seed, following, or that seed fall, falling onto compressed soil. That soil is as hard as a rock. What's the potential? Not much. Because Jesus said that seed hits the ground and what happens? He said it's trampled down and then the birds come and scoop it up. Well, spiritually speaking, Jesus said, all right, here's the kind of heart I'm talking about. The seed of the kingdom is sown and listen to what he says. The devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. Now you just think about how many people in the world today have a closed mind and a closed Bible. The devil, does the devil not recognize the power of God's word? Yes, he does. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus was tempted by the devil? And Jesus, on every single temptation, responded the same way, didn't he? How did he respond? Do you remember? He said, it is written. Jesus quoted Scripture because there's power in his word. The devil understands the power of God's word. Do you think the devil wants people to listen intently to the Word of God. What was it Jesus said? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The devil understands that if people will 
close their minds to the truth of God, if they'll say, I'm not interested, if, they'll, if they will put up a barrier and God's Word can't penetrate the heart, the likelihood of them being saved is nil to none. Here's what Paul said, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In whom the God of this age has blinded who believe not. Why? Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them. There have been a lot of people that have been exposed to Scripture. They have heard just as much gospel in many, in many cases as you have. The difference is God's Word never resonates. It never finds a home in their heart. As a result, it never it never germinates, it never leads to fruition, does it? You see, the devil is intent on keeping people in an unsafe condition, isn't he? Listen again to what Jesus said. The wayside soil, the wayside heart, this compressed soil, he said, here's this kind of person. The devil comes, takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. Now the Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. The devil doesn't want you to believe. He doesn't want you to build a personal faith in the Lord. He's not interested in your spiritual welfare. He doesn't want you to become a person of conviction. He doesn't want you to develop faith in God and conviction to the point that you obey the gospel. So, what does he do? Extracts that seed. Pulls it out of your heart. Now, note if you would, the second type of heart spoken of by Jesus. Listen to him in verse 13. He said, the ones on the rock, this is the rocky soil. And you remember back in verse 6, he said, some fell on rock. And as soon as it sprang up, it withered away. Why? Because it lacked moisture. How many of us have seen seed fall into the crevices of rock? It'll germinate a little bit, but it's not going to be productive, really. And Jesus is saying by way of spiritual application, the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. But he said, these have no root who believe for a while and in time of temptation, what happens? Do you remember? He said, they fall away. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul talks about those who are tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men. That's in Ephesians 4, 14. There are some folks that are not rooted and grounded in the truth of God, are they? There's no spiritual root. There's no depth there, as we say. And let me tell you what, there are a lot of Christians like that. I mean, real world, they have no root system. They have no depth. So, Jesus said, when the seed is sown on the rock, on this craggy soil. He said, oh, they receive the word with joy. 
But then he said, in time of temptation, fall away. Now, in Matthew chapter 13, we have a parallel account of this parable. And Jesus said that when persecution or tribulation arises, listen to what he said, because of the word, they fall away. Are there not some people in the church today who wilt in their convictions because of potentially their lifestyle is not quote-unquote politically correct? Now you think about the world in which we're living, the era in which we find ourselves in America. The whipping post in America today is Christianity, isn't it? It's the Word of God. And so, here's somebody who hears the Word of God. They're receptive to what they hear. They, They are receptive and joyful. But tribulation and persecution come along. And here's what strikes me about Jesus. He was very upfront, very transparent in His teaching and preaching, wasn't He? Do you think about how many people try to sell you a product or a service and then in the small fine print... There are some exclusions, aren't there? Not so with Jesus. I mean, I think about Jesus when he begins his public ministry in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. What was Jesus saying there? He's saying, let me tell you what, you want to be one of my disciples, you need to understand something. It's going to cost you something. It might very well be the case that you're going to face some persecution and tribulation and difficulties in your life. Now, if you want to sign on and be, and be one of my followers, you need to understand that up front. The Lord Jesus didn't mask the teaching of the gospel. So think about the Apostle Paul. Paul's writing his second letter in about A.D. 68. And Paul has already faced a a myriad of trials and tribulations. And he talks about in 2 Timothy chapter 3 the persecutions and afflictions that he faced at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. He said, what persecutions I endured, but he said, the Lord delivered me out of them all. In verse 12, he would say, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution." You think Paul knew something about persecution? So Jesus here is talking about this sower going out to sow the seed. Talking about somebody who is receptive to the Word of God, but the problem is they don't have a root system. If you don't have a root system, spiritually speaking, in your life, you won't make it. You won't flourish. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, there is a third type of heart identified by Jesus. Note if you would in verse 7. Jesus said, some seed fell among thorns. And he said, the thorns sprang up. And here's what the Lord said, choked it. Now drop down. Note if you would verse 13 or verse 14 rather. The ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they heard, go out 
and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bear no fruit to maturity. Now he's talking about the crowded heart represented, as he said, by the soil that has thorns in it. Now I want you to think for a minute about how many people today want to be a servant of the Lord. They want to follow the Lord. In their heart of hearts, they're interested. And they want to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus. They certainly want all the benefits and the blessings, but here's the problem. The problem is they just don't have room for Him in their life. That's why He talks about the crowded heart. Listen again to what he said. He said, the ones that, that is the seed that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard it, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring forth no fruit to maturity. Could I tell you what I believe to be the greatest threat to the church today. It's the world. That's it. The world. The world and all of its attendant blessings. The world is choking the life out of a lot of our members. It really is. Do you remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 12? Paul said, be not conformed to this world. And the idea is, do not allow the world to pour you into its mold. So here's Paul saying, okay, don't allow the world to shape and to mold you. Don't allow the world to mentor your thinking. And John said, love not the world, neither the things which are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, he said, it's not of the Father, but it's of the world, and the world passes away. The devil can make things look so good in the world, can he? And there are people today that are in the church, and they have literally been seduced by the world. They act like the world. They talk like the world. They dress like the world. They look like the world. You know what that means? It means they're worldly. They bought into that worldly system. And that's what we're talking about here. And there are people today, they know what the Bible said. They know Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. They know Jesus said, we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. But, but, the problem is, their lives are too crowded. I mean, you tell, look at, look, at, look at the church today. I applaud you for being here tonight. I'm grateful that you chose to come, that you chose to come back tonight to worship God, to be with people of like faith. But you came tonight because of your love for God. That was your motivation, because you love God. And typically, we do what we love to do, don't we? 
and yet there are a lot of folks, what they're trying to do is somehow fit the Lord into their crowded lives. Here's the bottom line. This is, this is what Scripture teaches. The Lord accepts nothing but first. He wants to be preeminent in our lives, doesn't He? And so, some people allow the world. Now, Jesus said in the parable that there are some who allow riches. Do you remember what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6? Those who are minded to be rich fall into a temptation and snare with many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. He went on to say the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. He's not saying that there's anything inherently wrong with money or wealth or riches. What he's saying is that riches and wealth can ultimately be a gateway to trouble in your life because those things can circumvent your faith. And the, re the reason that Paul is writing this is because, as he said, we brought nothing into this world. It's certain we can carry nothing out. We need to find contentment with godly living. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And there are people that have allowed materialism and money to encroach upon their spiritual lives and ultimately choke the life out of their relationship to God. Now, there's a fourth type of heart spoken of by Jesus. It's what I would call the choice heart. Look at verse 8. He said, other seed fell on good ground, sprang up and yielded a crop a hundredfold. Look at verse 15. The seed that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart. And really what Jesus is saying here, here are people that hear the word with an honest and good heart. If somebody has a good heart, they have an honest heart. And Jesus said, that honest and, and good heart, when the seed is deposited into that kind of soil, into that kind of heart, what does it do? It yields fruit. He said, they keep that word and bear fruit with patience. If the seed is going to germinate and yield fruit, it's got to be deposited in the right kind of soil. Same thing's true spiritually speaking. If the human heart is going to be productive, if it's going to be fertile ground for the gospel, you've got to have an honest and a good heart. An honest heart says, okay, you remember Samuel in the old, of old? Remember Samuel when he said, speak, Lord, your servant hears. That's an honest heart. That's a good heart. Do you remember the Bereans in Acts chapter 17? Paul had been in Thessalonica preaching and teaching, spent three Sabbath days there preaching and teaching the gospel. The results speak for themselves. They're run out of town. They find, them, they find themselves in Berea. And the Bible says that those in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why? Because they received the word with all readiness of mind. And the Bible says they searched the scriptures daily to see whether those things were so. An honest and a good heart opens the Word of God. They have an open Bible. They have an open heart. They're receptive to the teaching of, teaching of God and their desire, their innate desire is to bear fruit for the Lord. It's productive. It's fertile soil. 
Could I ask you a question tonight? We've looked at four different types of human hearts. How would you classify your heart? You know what Jesus is saying in this context? This is the heart of the matter. So how would you classify your heart? Only you can answer that. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian for whatever reason, and you know what the Bible teaches, then my question to you is, what's holding you back? Look, the devil doesn't want you to be saved, but God does. God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So what do you need to do? Hear the gospel. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Repent of your sins. Confess his name before others. Do as they did on Pentecost. Be baptized into Christ. Why? For the remission of your sins, Acts 2.38. And then be faithful. Live a life that bears fruit daily for God. Remember what Jesus said, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, and so are you my disciples, John 15, 8. Just be faithful. If you're here tonight and your life is not what it ought to be, you need the prayers of the church, look, we'd be happy to pray with you and for you as we stand and sing.